Let me start off by reading our passage of scripture that we're going to do our um, most of our uh, preaching out of tonight. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. You guys probably know the story, but I'll read it to you once again. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. The Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to them, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. So Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. We're going to talk about forgiveness tonight. We're going, to, we're going to find out why the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Pharisees, those religious leaders, those people in that room that had filled the house initially, we're going to find out why they were so upset that this crippled man was forgiven. We're going to find out about that. We're going to, we're going to deal with forgiveness in our own heart tonight. We're going to figure it all out tonight. Does that sound good? You're actually going to sit through some wonderful counseling tonight. Mental health, inner healing, is a very big deal with all of us. It's a very big deal in the church, too. The church at large is destroyed mainly by toxic people within the four walls and not necessarily, not, and not heresy or apostasy from the stage. Let me say that again. The church at large is split, divided, and destroyed by toxic people within the four walls, not heresy and apostasy coming from the stage. Churches crumble because of inabilities to deal with relational issues, an inability to forgive. Sports teams are destroyed over the same reasons. Relationships are destroyed over the same reasons. We deal with these things all the time. There's something inside of us that's toxic, that's not right. We are struggling to deal with it internally. It affects how we communicate with the people around us. It affects our relationship. It tremendously deteriorates our world. But if we can find inner healing, we become much better people. How many people would agree with me if you say, okay, if I didn't have all this inner strife and inner stuff going on within me, I would be a better person? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A lady sat in a counselor's office riddled with anger. 
but she'll tell you she is a Christian. The counselor could realize that she couldn't see just how angry she was. She felt justified in her anger. She needed healing. The principal variable for inner healing is not faith. It's actually courage. Hmm. We don't really want to see or admit who we really are on the inside sometimes. And to really pull back the curtain and unveil the past and who we are and what affected us as we grew up, to truly pull the curtain back and let somebody in to see that, even to let ourselves admit it, takes tremendous courage. But those who are healthy on the inside are people who are courageous enough to get help. There's a, there's a true story of a man who was born in the hills of Kentucky, backwards lifestyle, dealt with all the things of a family that would deal with living in the hills of Kentucky, separated from society at large, no running water, no electricity, just, just kind of in, incredibly embarrassing kind of experience he grew up in. He miraculously escaped his family, which had lived there for generations, he escaped. He ended up getting accepted into MIT University, went to college, got his degree, became extremely successful. He was a very smart man. But when he escaped his family and his life in the hills of Kentucky, every person he met outside of that sphere, he would lie to them about his life. He meets a beautiful woman at college, lies to her about who he was and what his past was like. He began to live a lie, live a lie, live a lie, even though he was wealthy, even though he was successful, even though he had a wife and children, even though he had a huge house, even though he had a wonderful degree. Things just began to unravel for him. He turned out to be an angry man, a bitter man, a hard man to deal with. He realized he, never, he didn't have any friends. His wife hates him. His kids hate him. And he couldn't figure out why his life was falling apart and all of his relationships were absolutely terrible. He got so desperate, he had the courage to go to a counselor. And the counselor didn't know this man. He didn't know the counselor, but he began to tell the counselor everything that's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And the counselor began to probe and probe and probe. And finally, the man broke and he admitted he had been living a complete lie telling everybody in his life that his past really wasn't what, a, what it was. And he broke down in the counselor's office. Tears began to flow. And the counselor said, you need to begin to be honest with your wife and your children and your friends. And only then will you be able to move forward and have a true healthy life as you continue on. Now, if you get desperate enough to get healed, you will get courageous enough to do something. Desperation leads to courage. You know, as a pastor myself, I am not a trained counselor. 
I couldn't pull you into my office and show you my, my degree in counseling and lead you down roads of counseling, but you know what I can do? And it's what I'm going to do tonight. I can be one of those friends on the rooftop. I can lower you down to Jesus. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Amen, church? There's a true story of two young boys who grew up not together, but in separate countries, but had very similar lifestyles growing up. Both their fathers were raging alcoholics, beat them continually over and over and over again, beat the wife, beat them. One of the children in particular was beaten so badly by his father that he was in a coma for four days. Two boys, rejected by their father, rejected by society at large. One of the boys in particular was then, when he became a little older, you know, middle school, was sent off to a Jewish school system, but he was bullied there and ridiculed there because of the way that his father had treated him in particular. He was stunted in his actual physical growth. He was smaller than everybody. The other boy was beaten so badly, he was crippled for his, his entire life. But what these boys wanted desperately was a love from their father and love from others, and they couldn't find it anywhere. They churned, and they just were miserable, but they grew up to be men. One of them was Adolf Hitler, and the other was Joseph Stalin. Now, what if these two boys had found acceptance at a Jewish school, loved on by somebody who knows God? What if the other boy had just gone to counseling and got help, worked through their past, worked through the rejection, worked through the abuse, began to forgive, began to work through it? What if they were just loved by people? I think their stories would have turned out differently. I introduced this last week that there's five toxic rivers that everybody can, can pool up in. We don't all deal with all of them. Maybe there's one of them. Maybe there's two. Maybe you do deal with all five. It's, it's very possible. But the five toxic rivers are, once again, shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. I touched on all five last week. But we're going to focus mainly on unforgiveness tonight. I'll do another one next week. I won't be able to get to all five. But shame comes, but shame enters your heart, the first one, because there was a deception that was sowed into you. But when truth enters your heart, the result is integration. You say to yourself, okay, now I can put all the pieces of my life even the traumatic ones together. I am now a whole person. I am now fully together. Maybe I talk, Maybe that was you. You deal with shame. You deal with shame because somebody lied to you. You were deceived and you believed a lie for so many years. And the result is shame. And the only way to get through it is by hearing the truth because the truth will set you free. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, which is the one we're going to talk about tonight, is healed by grace. And when you're healed by grace, you can then begin to give out mercy yourself and forgiveness yourself. You'll no longer live under the, 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 the scourge of 
constantly judging yourself and others if you can receive grace tonight. Maybe you deal with rejection. Rejection comes because you, you've, you've doubted people. You doubt their words and their actions. You're, you've been sown in doubt constantly, so you feel completely rejected. It's treated by the therapy of trust. And when you begin to trust again, then you can step into a circle of acceptance and friendships and love. Fourth one is condemnation. Condemnation is treated with worship. If you got a spirit of condemnation on you, Maybe you feel like you can't ever be forgiven. You can't forgive yourself. If you say, if you say I, I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself, you're seating yourself higher than God. So what happens? That the condemnation says you're just you're you're all about your idol. You put yourself in idol worship. So condemnation is treated with worship. Stop worshiping that sin. Stop worshiping treating yourself higher than God. Get yourself off the throne. Treat it with worship. It brings balance back into your heart. And then there's fear. Fear is tied to pain. And I talked about this last week for those of you who are here. My kids don't like going to the doctors. Why? Because they went to doctors before and they got a shot. So they don't want to go. They're afraid of the doctors. So fear is tied to pain. So maybe you live a life of fear. Fear. You're fearful. Why? Why? T- figure out where the pain came from. And you fix this one by being fully loved. Feeling God's love wrap, your arm, wrap his arms around you. Love will give you hope. Hope. But let's talk about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness sits on the throne that's called justice. Is it, does that look good up there? There's the toxin, the throne, the therapy, and the goal. So you're, the toxin is unforgiveness. The throne that it sits on is justice. We'll talk about this. But the therapy is grace. And then the, the goal in the end is you begin to extend mercy yourself. Once you receive grace, you can begin to extend mercy. So let's talk about unforgiveness tonight. Let's talk about this. Because the Bible says we must forgive. It's a command from God. When you forgive, you are set free. We all believe that, right? Oh, it sounds, it's, so, it's wonderful to say, and you like to hear me say it. It's one of those things, easier said than done. Easier said than done. So do you have feelings of unforgiveness tonight? Have you been wronged? Are you tempted to exercise your right to not forgive? Is forgiveness a challenge for you? Let me remind you before we go on any further, this teaching tonight is once again from the book Courage to be Healed by Mark Rutland. So if you are interested in that book, go ahead and buy it because I'll tell you right now, I'm, I'm barely getting into it, okay? So let's, get, let's, let's set a path out of the darkness. Let's, get on the, let's, get, let's set a path tonight out of this darkness of unforgiveness. You want to get out of here? Ever been lost before? I got lost in the woods one time. Uh, get me the path out of this dark woods. I'm the happiest man alive. We're going to get out of this. You ready tonight? Isn't that awesome? One of the ways 
on a lifestyle of unforgiveness is to recognize a wrong rule. Everybody say a wrong rule. There is a wrong rule that you have created with your life. A person who has set up a legalist lifestyle will struggle to forgive. And there's a certain legalist lifestyle rule that you'll have. And the rule says this. It's called an if-then life. If-then life. And this is how it works. You, you've told yourself this. And you've, you've, it's, it's like a promise you made. It's a vow. It is a law. It's a law you told yourself. If I eat healthy, then I won't get sick. If I send my kids to this school, then they will be successful. If I treat people this way, then I'm guaranteed to have friends. If I drive like this, then I'll never get into an accident. These are if-then rules that you have wrongly set up for your life. It's called a legalist lifestyle. Now, a legalist Christian, right, we can kind of recognize that. And, oh, I'm, never, I'm not a legalist. I'm not a legalist Christian. No, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. You might not be a legalist Christian, you don't think, but maybe you have a legalist-style life. See, if-then people have a set of rules that they've created, which is, in your mind, a guarantee that things will turn out a certain way. And when that certain way doesn't happen, though, then your whole world is turned upside down to the point of unforgiveness. Mary did all the right things raising her children. She loved them. She sent them to Christian schools. She made sure they had good friends. She kept them safe, fed them healthy food their whole lives. She worked this hard to ensure that her children would grow up to be Christians who contribute to society. When she sent her middle child off to the Christian college, something began to change in him. He became quiet, protective of his thoughts, and distant. Mary tried all her techniques and lessons she had learned from all of her books to pull Stephen out of his funk, but nothing worked. He seemed indifferent towards church now, passive in his relationship with Jesus and passive towards his relationships with other Christians. He didn't worship at church like he used to. Mary couldn't let it go, and she probed and probed and probed Stephen until he broke. He finally told her he doesn't believe all the Bible stuff anymore. He wants to go to a different college, and he doesn't want to go to church anymore. Mary couldn't believe what she was hearing. She did everything right raising her kids, but Stephen has turned out as a failure. She is mad at God, the world, her son, herself, his friend. She can't forgive the universe who has wronged her this badly. I hope I didn't read Too many people's mail tonight. Sorry if I did. Or perhaps your story goes something like this. I believed and confessed and stood on the word of God exactly as I was taught. Not partially, but exactly as I was taught. 
Why does my husband have cancer? Is the law then not really the law? How can anyone explain a world like that? How can I live sanely in such an insane universe? I want a law that works. I want a God that honors his laws. All unforgiveness is seated in a sense of justice. And all justice is seated in a law. Many struggle to forgive others because here's one reason. We think that if we forgive them, they're now off the hook. Some people even think that if I forgive somebody, then they're off the hook for what they did. But that's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness sets you free, and thankfully, God still can get them, okay? (laughs) God writes all the wrongs in the end. And those who live with an if-then lifestyle or a Justice is very important lifestyle need to be reaffirmed and reassured that in the end, justice wins. That God has ultimate justice. That they will reap what they sowed. And so will you. And you like that. You're happy about that. And if you know that, and if you believe that tonight, then it will be a little easier for you to forgive them, knowing that forgiving someone doesn't get them off the hook, but it gets you off the hook. You've been a worm on a hook, ah, struggling, and you can forgive. You can get yourself off the hook. It doesn't get them off the hook. It gets you off the hook. That's why God wants you to forgive. And just like God is dealing with you to forgive, God is dealing with them as well. Let God deal with them. Hmm. So what do we do with this verse in the Bible? Are you ready for this one? Proverbs 22, verse 6. I think it will go up on the screens, right, Terry? Do we have Proverbs 22, verse 6? What do we do with this verse? Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Some read this verse, and they turn it into a law. But if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. See, the Bible is not a set of laws. It is a love letter to us. And a love, let the love letter work in your favor tonight. Let me encourage you with this. That God raised Adam and Eve in paradise with no problems. They had no needs. There was no sin. And yet they sinned big time. Was was God not a good father? No. He was a perfect father. And his children made a big mistake. Jesus trained 12 disciples for three years. And one of them betrayed him with a kiss and for a measly 30 pieces of silver. Was Jesus not a good teacher? No. See, your children have a God-given and inalienable right to their own sins. And sometimes those sins will have life-changing consequences. So this is how I want you to read the verse. This is, this is, 
This is how I, I know you're not supposed to write in the scripture, but this is how I want you to read it. Direct your children to the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it unless he does, just as Adam did. But if he does, God is still good, and there is still hope. <laughs> is anybody getting set free tonight? Anybody feeling freedom in this place? Let's look at Luke 6, 38 which is not a formula for your success. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Yeah! That's my law. Hmm. It's not a law. It's a love letter. It's an encouragement to give. It's, a, it's creating a community that gives. It's, in, it's encouraging us to give. And you know what else? If you don't receive it in this life, you will receive it in the next life. Don't get frustrated with giving because you're thinking, I, I'm not experiencing this stuff. It's because this is not a law. This is a love letter. This is a love letter. Let's look at James 5.14. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. This James 5.14 is about creating a community of believers with faith for healing and forgiveness. This is not a guaranteed for your healing. I wish it was. I wish this was a formula for healing. I wish it was the law for healing. But it's not a law. It's not a formula. It's not a 2 plus 2 equals 4. This is James pastoring his people to say, if you're sick, I encourage you to reach out for help. If you're sick, there's people and leaders and pastors and counselors in your community that want to pray for you, that want to anoint you with oil, that want to be there for you, that want to check in on you. And this is the kind of church we need, James is trying to say. This is the kind of church I want. This is the kind of church I've prayed for. Amen, church? You see? The secret to dethroning unforgiveness is grace. Grace and mercy allow for forgiveness. Mercy allows love for others, and in turn, anger goes away. Mercy says, I want that person healed and forgiven and welcomed into the kingdom of God. We have wonderful mercy for people who lived thousands of years ago. We love the Psalms. And the Proverbs, written by men who were murderers, adulterers, and the list goes on. But if one of our own falls today, our mercy and grace quotient is very small. We've got wonderful mercy and grace for people who lived 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. we got no problems reading the scriptures written by flawed men. But if a pastor today writes a worship song or writes a book and we find out they're flawed, we burn the book. We get them on social media. 
We get angry at the pastor who we sing the song from that guy. But when you're, <laughs> mercy and grace are so important. That's why we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's why we give people second chances. That's why we get excited when pastors are restored and worship leaders are restored and people are healed even though they didn't deserve it. Healing doesn't come to those who deserve it or earned it. It's a gift. It's a grace and mercy gift. I talked about last week, I said, sometimes it's hard to learn that not everybody in your circle wants you healed. But another hard lesson to learn is when you realize you're upset when somebody else gets healed. There's a story of a man named Brian, brand new saved, wonderful salvation, went from atheist to a Christian, and just end up being just the pastor recognized that this man was on fire and asked him, asked Brian, Brian, would you lead our street ministry? Would you lead? I've told this story before. Would you lead our street ministry? And this man, Brian, didn't know anything about street ministry, but he said yes because he just was so on fire for the Lord. So he would take a group of people out to the streets and they would walk around and they would just talk to people about Jesus and started seeing some pretty wild things. And one of the stories he tells us, they walked up to a group of teenagers and these teenagers started making fun of Brian and the team for witnessing about Jesus. And one of the young boys had a cast on his arm and he was mocking the, the Brian and the team and saying, oh, why don't, you, why don't Jesus heal me right now? Why don't Jesus heal me right now? And so Brian, the leader, said, well, we'll pray for you. And so they began to pray for the boy. And as they prayed for the boy with the broken arm, the kid with the broken arm was mocking his prayers as he was praying. And then after he got done praying, Brian said, amen. And the boys began to walk away. And the kid with the cast flicked Brian off as he walked away. And Brian yelled at him and said, if God heals you, I want to know. The next day was Wednesday night church. And the kid walked in, no cast on his arm. And Brian said, hey, I know you. You're the ornery little punk. Where's your cast? The kid said, God healed me. Why would God heal him? He deserves a broken arm. He deserves it. Mean little kid. He deserves more than a broken arm. I will break his other arm. (laughs) And I don't want God to heal him. I'm mad at God. What's God doing up there? Doesn't God understand what's happening in my world, in our world? Grace and mercy. Did you deserve salvation? How about after you were saved? Were you so awesome that you were deserved healing for something? Nope. Salvation is grace and mercy. Healing is grace and mercy. Everything is grace and mercy. But those who deal with unforgiveness struggle, struggle with the idea of grace and mercy. 
All of us believe in grace for salvation, but we'll deny grace for fellow believers. Maybe the person sitting next to you, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend. We don't like grace for fellow believers. Grace is the opposite of legalism. Let me let you in on how God works. God is not micromanaging the world according to his laws or his ways, but is interrupting everyday life with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. In God's world, the law of love always trumps legalism. Hmm. You remember, remember the religious leaders of Jesus' days? They were terribly upset that Jesus was healing people and forgiving people. Why? Because according to their law, they believed that people were sick or injured because of sin. And that was God's justice for their choices. But Jesus would break that supposed justice with healing and love enraging the religious leaders of his day. A legalist will get upset over a miracle healing, especially if that healing breaks a law in their minds. A man who drinks alcohol his whole life has cancer of the liver. Good, the legalist says. That's what he deserves. He reaps what he sowed. But Jesus heals that man of cancer, breaks some of his alcohol addiction, breaking the laws of his life choices, breaking the laws of his life choices. Amen? But this will anger a legalist who says, He didn't get what he deserved. But grace and mercy says God gives us good things we don't deserve because he is loving. Love trumps laws every time with God. Amen? So you're here tonight. And you've got your own stories. And you've got your own things happening. Maybe I described your story tonight. Maybe I didn't even come close to touching your story. But there is unforgiveness. And the truth of all that is that we need to forgive. I'll never forget listening to Joyce Myers preach. She talked about her her life story. I don't know if you're familiar with Joyce Myers' life story. You can listen to it for yourself. She tells her life story. It is one of the most heartbreaking lives you've ever heard. And at the end, she goes, and I forgave my father. And then she looks at the crowd and says, like only Joyce Myers can, why don't you just forgive already? Can't you see her saying that? She's got an anointing to talk like that. Why don't you just forgive already? Now, it's easier said than done, isn't it, church? But you can forgive. You can forgive when you understand how much you're forgiven. You can forgive because you need to get yourself off the hook. You need to get yourself off the hook. You can forgive because 
you really do want to move on. You really do, deep down inside, hate that unforgiveness that you're holding on to. That's the truth. And maybe tonight you're set free with understanding that maybe, just maybe, you've created a legalist lifestyle. And you're getting frustrated with your children, or you're getting frustrated with your friends, you're getting frustrated with your church, you're getting frustrated with your ministry, you're getting frustrated with life. You hate, just you're mad at every person you meet on the road. It's probably because you've created an if-then lifestyle that's not working out well. Ever run into an easygoing person? Where it just seems like no matter how many little things they're encountering throughout the day, it's like water off a duck's back. And one of the reasons they live like that is simply because they have not created a legalist lifestyle. They have not created an if-then scenario. They just simply walk through life thinking differently. And then you're like, I wish. (laughs) I wish I could just be so easy like that easy going like that. The truth is you can with the healing power of Jesus. I'm just lowering you down tonight to Jesus. Let's have an encounter with Jesus right now. You want to do that church? Let's, we got another worship song that we're going to sing to. I tried to scour the internet for just the right song for this message. And I hope I found it, but it's a wonderful song. Oh, come to the altar. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just finish tonight with worshiping together, and then I'll come up and speak a little bit more.